Financial problems can be stressful, exhausting, and embarrassing. At the law offices of John T. Orcutt, we've been practicing bankruptcy law for more than 30 years. We've seen it all, and we're here to guide you through this uncertain time. Tune in as we walk you through the bankruptcy process, the myths, the misconceptions, the secrets, and answer your questions that have been keeping you up at night. Ready to put this chapter of your life behind you? Let's get fresh started. Today I talked with Ed Bolts, Vice President of the National Association of Consumer Bankruptcy Attorneys, also known as NACBA. He is a partner at the law offices of John T. Orcutt and mostly practices in the Middle District, which is from Durham to just after Winston-Salem and all of the counties north and south of there. He is a very frequent presenter and speaker at conferences. I've seen a few of these in person, but it looks like he has been called upon for another 50 or more presentations over the past 20 years. So that means he got the hard questions for you all. We talked about what is happening with mortgages right now and the outlook for 2021, how to get out from under a house, or your options to save it. This included a new program known as LMM. We didn't leave out info for renters and those struggling with car payments. He gave excellent details about the mysteries around what is happening with student loans. Lastly, we talked about the qualities someone should look for in an attorney and the advice for someone dealing with debts right now. Ed, thanks for joining us today. One of the big questions I think a lot of listeners have for this year are about mortgages in North Carolina and kind of what's happening if their mortgage is being deferred or we always have people chasing a modification. And then also, you know, what are the bankruptcy options to that 7 and 13, et cetera? Right. Where we are right now here in North Carolina is that there's been some forbearances, both mortgage or moratoriums often called on mortgage foreclosures, both from the state, from the state Supreme Court, but those are, are starting to expire and also from the federal government for some, but not all mortgages. So depending on whether there's a government guaranteed mortgage behind it, those are often show up. People might recognize Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac related to their mortgage as a way of of gauging that. But those persist through at the end of January. But if people are behind, it, it doesn't mean you're not falling further behind. It just means that in the meantime, the mortgage company can't commence or, or conclude a foreclosure. So that's sort of where we are in terms of those, and, you know, that people are in a holding pattern meant to give them some breathing space to figure out what to do while they're dealing with the pandemic, while they're dealing with the related job loss and things like that but it's not a long-term solution. So yeah, what's going to happen when we get towards the end of January? If we could see into like, you know, MBNA, what would they might be working on or Brock and Scott or so on? Yeah, so the mortgage servicers are going to start up foreclosures again because ultimately they need to be paid back in order to make continue to make mortgages and keep out of bankruptcy themselves. Not that many of the mortgage companies have filed bankruptcy themselves in the last several years. But with some of those, the amounts that have been missed up to some limit, maybe those missed payments may be tacked onto the end of a mortgage. And if the amounts exceed usually six months, they may start a foreclosure, which starts the clock ticking on how long people have to be able to hold on to their home. And how long might that be? Under the normal process of foreclosure here in North Carolina, once they say they have to wait till you're 120 days behind. So what's that, four months, and then and they give you an opportunity to cure, but they can start that during this forbearance period. 
once the forbearance moratoriums are over, they can send a notice of foreclosure and there'll be a foreclosure hearing 20 days later. At that foreclosure hearing, if the clerk of court for the county authorizes the foreclosure, and they almost always do, there's very little you can do to stop that if you're actually behind. The foreclosure sale will happen. Unless you pay it all. Yeah, 20 days later, the foreclosure sale happens. And so once you get to that point, things can go very quickly. And we can stop that foreclosure and save it for another 10 days after that sale. But it's really important that people come and see us sooner rather than later so that we can start getting them planned, right? What's if they want to save the house? And what if they do not? What are their options? like? So if they want to let the house, they can let the foreclosure sale proceed. That's not always the best way to surrender a house for a couple reasons. The first is, is that they go through a foreclosure sale. Then you'll have that on your credit report and your, and your history for 10 years because it's a lawsuit against you. If you can do a short sale or a deed in lieu of foreclosure, that may allow you to bounce back more quickly. The other difficulty, though, is that if your house is sold at foreclosure, most of the mortgage companies will do what's called a credit bid, and they will bid a portion of the amount owed at the auction themselves to buy the house. And for the most part, they'll bid 80% of what, what you owe, regardless of what the house is worth. So what that means, for example, is if you owe, to make the math easy, $100,000 on your house, Wells Fargo or Mr. Cooper or Aquin, they'll bid $80,000 at the auction. If they're the highest bidder, they now own that house for $80,000, which means that you still owe them $20,000 on that mortgage note, even though you no longer have the house. So not only are you still in debt and your credit is taking a beating and you've lost your house. So that's really the worst of all worlds. And we can, with a bankruptcy, we can deal with that deficiency, that extra amount that you still owe so that you're able to get a fresh start and start to rebuild rather than having to wait maybe as long as 10 years or longer if they were to, you know, to pursue you. So what if someone got notice of a, uh, like a hearing coming up and they kind of know they can't afford this house. Maybe it's job loss or something else. And, you know, they come to us and maybe they're looking at seven or 13. I know we can't guarantee what the timeline would look like, but kind of what might it look like if they were to then file a chapter seven before the sale even happened? So if you file a chapter seven before that foreclosure is finalized, the bankruptcy stay applies regardless of what chapter you file. So it stops that foreclosure in its tracks. And so you keep your house. In a chapter seven, it doesn't help you get caught up over the long term. So it's a temporary fix, right? But it allows you to buy some time and maybe hopefully have things get better. The mortgage company really has two options once you file the bankruptcy. The first is that they can just wait till your bankruptcy discharge comes through and the case closes. And that usually takes about five or six months in a normal straightforward case, which most cases are, 99% of them are. And what that means is that you know, you'll be able to stay in your house, rent and mortgage free for the next five or six months. And depending on where they were- Harassment free. Right. You know, <laughs> Depending on where they were in the process, they may have to start over or they may be able to start where they left off. But what this means is that you can probably hold on to your home easily for five or six months, often much closer to 10 or 12, a fair amount of time, which gives you obviously the ability to save up for moving costs, for down payment and security deposits for home that you might or apartment that you might move into and all of those sorts of things that come with it. Well, what about 
catching it up would be my next question is let's say if they're five or six months behind and it looks like they could afford to catch it up maybe they just had a bumpy patch and now their hours are back how can 13 maybe solve that for them right so the advantage that we have in a chapter 13 are a lot when dealing with houses the first and most straightforward is that if you're behind we can reorganize stop that foreclosure and get you back on track with making your ongoing payments and getting you caught up on the arrearage is the phrase we use. So, and we can spread that out over as long as five years generally in a normal chapter 13 case, which helps out substantially because if you go to the mortgage servicer directly and say, oh, stop, stop the foreclosure, I'll get caught up. They'll usually just put their hand out and say, all right, you're six months behind, give me six months payment and we'll stop the foreclosure. Many times they won't even do that once you fall that far behind. They don't care any longer. They're just going to take your house. They don't want to talk to you. They don't want to talk to you. And they won't take partial payments. They won't take partial payments. They won't even take the ongoing payments. So every month you fall further behind. Chapter 13, the advantage is that you have the control there, right? You get to say, I'm going to make my ongoing payment and I'm going to make catch you up over the next five years. And you're going to take it and end of story pretty much. It's very straightforward. There are more options beyond that that we can use in Chapter 13. The bankruptcy courts here in North Carolina about a year and a half or two years ago now created what's called a loan modification program that allows us to engage more fully with the mortgage company to get a better loan modification, better treatment for the mortgage. So, you know, that's been a real... Well, how does that compare to... If you're behind on your house, they probably start researching, you know, a regular loan mod and how that might work. So how does the LMM compared to like the normal mortgage process or modification process? The LLM has a lot of advantages over when people try to work these out on their own. So, you know, the initial thing is, is that the goal is to get your ongoing monthly payment down to 80% of the principal and interest payment that you used to have, right? So it's not just to get you caught up and have you make the ongoing payment, but to lower the monthly payment. And they do that through a whole, you know, the mortgage companies call it a waterfall of options, where first they look at lowering the interest rate, they take the amount you're behind, and they spread it out over a longer period of time. Sometimes that's the length of the loan. Sometimes that's as long as an additional 40 years. And I know a lot of people get freaked out about, oh, no, now I've got a mortgage for 40 years. The advantage to all of these loan modifications that we get for clients is that there's no prepayment penalties. So even though the term is 40 years, when things get better for people, and we always hope they will and do everything we can to get them to that spot, right? They're able to then pay extra and the loan will finish up sooner. There's no penalty for doing that. There's no extra interest that they have to pay or, or things like that. So what the loan mod does by reducing that is gets the client to where today they can afford the payment, deal with all their other financial problems that may exist. And then after that, if you want to double up your payment, pay an extra, do it. Here's what I tell clients. when a mortgage co- If you send a mortgage company extra money, you know what they'll do with that check? They'll cash it and they apply it to your mortgage and you get done faster and you save on interest that way. So that's sort of what the goal is. The advantage to doing it through the loan modification process, well, the first is obviously that you have a lawyer like me and the rest of the lawyers at our firm working on this for you. So we have a wealth of experience dealing with the mortgage company so we know what they're supposed to do, what they're not allowed to do, when they're asking for things that are illegal, which 
I'll say something shocking. Many mortgage companies often do ask for illegal fees and charges and improperly assessed amounts to our clients, and we're able to fight against those. Paperwork seems to get lost a lot. I don't, well, you know. that's the other advantage is that the, the LLM program has a transparent portal. So where people deal with it on their own, they're faxing and emailing things off to somebody who may be here in North Carolina, maybe in Indiana, maybe in India, and the person they talk to the next day is somebody totally different. The program has this portal set up where we're able to upload information to that portal. The mortgage company can sees it there, and then there's a neutral party in between us called the program manager or facilitator who watches to make sure that when the mortgage company says, oh, you haven't given us your 2019 tax return, he can say, yeah, it's right there. They gave it to you two weeks ago. Stop this nonsense. Because that's what, when people do these loan mods themselves, they run into that is this constant churn of, oh, you didn't give us this. Oh, we need something different. Oh, what you gave us is now expired. That's one of the huge advantages also is that by putting them in this program, we're able to watch what they're doing and help them. And we've got the experience to be able to do it really well. I've seen clients get strung along for months on end and they're, I envy their hope that they've had. They're like, yeah, it's going to happen. They're working on it. I'm waiting to hear back or they get something and it's missing a signature. And there were a lot of problems and then attorney generals took issue with many banks in the past about urine modification, but at the same time, foreclosure was still proceeding. Hopefully their behavior has improved, but I wouldn't hold my breath. I guess the other thing would be, we've talked a lot about homeowners. And so what about renters outside of bankruptcy right now? What are they facing? And then inside bankruptcy, how's that different? Right. So what we're seeing right now is a is a huge eviction crisis across the country. You know, it was there were problems before the pandemic, but it's gotten worse in 2020, just like everything's gotten worse in 2020, really. So we're seeing people who are further and further behind on their rent with their landlord. And bankruptcy does have good to, some good tools for dealing with that. Again, one of the real important parts. They could be better. They could be better. You know, everything could be better. But, you know, the important part is for tenants is to come talk to a lawyer sooner rather than later. Because if you come in when you're behind, rather than have already gotten an eviction notice, our tools are a lot better for you. Because if you if you come in and you're behind, but you haven't haven't gotten the order evicting you yet, right, even saying that you're not going to be evicted for another 30 or 60 days, that gives us the ability to get you caught up through the Chapter 13 bankruptcy plan. And we can catch you up over periods, usually at least six months, maybe 12 months. And if we can show that the landlord has done anything improper, we can ask for even extended times. And the bankruptcy court gives a safer place oftentimes for us and our clients to fight with a landlord over some issues than the state courts. Because the state courts, we have a judge. They want to move them through, move them through, move them through, because they've got on that day, right? So they don't have the time or the expertise to deal with the fact that this landlord has done improper things, that the house is uninhabitable and they've refused to fix it or things like that. And those are issues that can be raised as counterclaims in a bankruptcy case when the landlord says, you're $6,000 behind on your rent. And we can say, and here's why you actually owe the debtor money in this case. And whether that ends up with the landlord paying money or not, it often gives us the ability to sort of have some leverage with them to say, listen, 
we'll drop our lawsuit against you if you agree to X, Y, and Z. And again, the advantage there is we're in bankruptcy court, which is our sandbox, right? So we, as the largest bankruptcy firm in, the, in North Carolina, with multiple people who are certified bankruptcy experts, including myself and others at the firm, we know what we're doing there. And it takes it out of the landlord's normal world where they know how to just push this through in front of some underpaid state court magistrate. Yeah, maybe the normal attorney they use may never have been to a bankruptcy court. Many of them don't even, you know, because in eviction court, you're not required to have an attorney. So it's just some, you know, a landlord or their property manager who's standing there saying things and they just push them through and the court just grants that eviction because there's nothing they can do. Bankruptcy gives us the ability to do stuff for help. Leaving aside that it frees up your money from other things so that we can reduce your car payment and eliminate your credit cards and medical bills and all those other things that are pulling people down, you know, so we can free up money to deal with your house or apartment or whether it's a mortgage or rent. That makes it a lot easier. So that's a good point. Hopefully I brought up in the intro or I will now that you're over in the middle district and when you're talking about cars and the other options with cars. So North Carolina has three different districts, Eastern, Middle, and Western. And the Middle District does have something a little extra for people for cramming down on cars, that little extra 10%, which can be thousands of dollars. Just wondering if you could elaborate a little bit more on like what can happen with cars inside of a Chapter 13. In a Chapter 13, if you've had your car for long enough and you have to have had it for 910 days, which is a very unusual number, but it's what Congress picked. And let's say the person's like three months behind or something like that. Sure. So if they're behind on their car, regardless of how long they've had it, we can put that in a Chapter 13 bankruptcy and rewrite the car note. Unlike with a mortgage, mortgages are treated differently than cars. Unlike with a mortgage, with a car note, we don't care about how far behind you were. We look at what the value of the car is based on the NADA book. And in the Eastern District of North Carolina, which is basically Raleigh to the coast, we use the full NADA retail, and in the middle district, which is basically Durham, Greensboro, and Winston-Salem, and the counties north and south of them, basically out to the edge of Charlotte, we use 90%, so we get that extra 10% off the NADA retail than we do in the eastern district, because some judge back in the 1980s decided that. Nobody can even point to where that's true. It just is. There's nothing that says it. There's no case. Out-of-state lawyers always say, well, why do you only- What adds up? because we always have, right? But what we're able to do, change the interest rate, especially for people who have high interest rates, we bring that down, we rewrite the amount that they pay per month, and so that can often save hundreds of dollars a month and thousands of dollars over the length of the Chapter 13 plan, which can be three or anywhere between three and five years, depending on a lot of factors in the debtor's case. And at the end of the case, the car is paid off? They get the title. Yep, and they're, they're, they're free to do with it what they want. If there's other, some other small questions, I just have one more big question for you, and you are the person to ask, and it has to be about student loans. Because right now, I think, unless it's got extended with the bill that just passed, the student, a lot of student loans were deferred you know, up through the end of the year. And what should people expect coming up? And then also, what are their options in bankruptcy or out, well, outside of, like, you know, the payment income driven repayment plan. Yeah, there you go. The IDR. And then also kind of what's on the horizon with bankruptcy and student loans. Right now, where people stand is that 
through the end of February, the forbearance has been extended and no interest is accruing on amounts. So if you're able to pay on your student loans, and this only applies to federally guaranteed student loans. It doesn't apply to private student loans. With those, you have to work out your own deal, which is often very difficult. And it also doesn't apply directly to loans that are still guaranteed by the state. So some people will have loans that are North Carolina Higher Education Authority. Even though those are government guaranteed loans, they're not necessarily subject to the same terms as the loans that people see with from the Department of Education, but they also with those they'll see usually are handled by a handful of different servicers. There's Navient is one of the more common, Fed loans, ECMC, things like that. With the federal loans, you won't have any payments due until March and there's no interest accruing. And so if you can make payments, that's the, you know, there's a big advantage because you can bring down that principal balance substantially right now. Beyond that, in terms of after that forbearance period or moratorium, it, it ends with the, with the government. There are discussions in Congress and with the incoming Biden presidency of some sort of student loan forgiveness. This is very controversial because it, the way that some of the, the ideas are being bandied about is that everybody would be given $50,000. A problem with that is that that helps, you know, the person who graduated from law school or business school has the benefit of the degree, yeah. $500,000 a year, they get $50,000, but the school teacher who's making here in North Carolina, it caps out pretty close to $45,000 a year. They get the same relief, even though their income may be much lower, even though they may have the same amount of student loans, right? And you also face the problem, the person with, you know, two, $300,000 of student loans, which is nothing even shocking for us anymore to see. That's fairly, fairly routine that we see folks with that much student loan debt. Knocking off $50,000 off that balance really doesn't change a single thing for them in the short term. Their payment remains the same. They may, they'll be done sooner, potentially. The interest rate stays the same. So it doesn't really help. That's why the the other they're drowning in ten feet of water instead of fifteen. Right, right, and you still have you know a bunch of lead weights tied to your feet. So good luck swimming then, right? It's really more like you're instead of being in two hundred fifty thousand feet of water, you're in one hundred fifty thousand feet of water, right? You'll never notice. You'll be dead before you notice the difference. Also, proposals in Congress to make student loans again dischargeable in bankruptcy. They used to be, but going back through the eighties, Congress gradually ratcheted that down. So currently, you can only get your student loans discharged if you can show an undue hardship. And the difficulty with that is when people look, hear that phrase, undue hardship, right? They're like, this is a hardship on me. But the bars, here's the top of my camera. The bars somewhere up here. Right. The, the, the way the federal courts have interpreted that phrase, the, the judges in Richmond who have authority over us here in North Carolina have said that in order to have an undue hardship, you have to show a certainty of hopelessness that you will not be able to maintain a subsistence level of existence for the rest of your life, which is just this brutal, hellish expectation. And it's very hard to read. So yeah, it you know, seems like, it, like more than permanently disabled. More than permanently disabled, you also have to have a disability that nobody ever expects to be able to fix, right? It's very, very difficult to reach that through the bankruptcy court. There's also proposals to 
have whoever, you know, president, since we're still waiting on some things, I guess, to direct the Department of Education to say, if you've been declared disabled by Social Security or the VA, if your income is below, has been below the average for the state for three years, if you are otherwise certified as, as chronically ill by a doctor, that they won't fight over these because they could choose to let people go through They've just chosen so far to always fight and always be monstrous, right? So that's one of the changes that we're working on in Congress that I hope to be able to give people good news about that in 2021, that there's been a loosening, because that's something that that any president could do with the swipe of a pen. And right now, the what you can do with, a, with bankruptcy is you can, at the very least, in filing a Chapter 13, you can stop your payments for a period of time. That gives you three to five years to get everything else dealt with so that you can then turn around and deal with your student loans when your finances have stabilized, your income has hopefully improved, your life is better off. So now you can turn to dealing with this other problem. You've dealt with the credit cards and the car loans and all of those other things. Something we see every now and then too are the Parent PLUS loans. What about them? It's pretty much the same thing with those. The proposals for the forgiveness don't seem to have reached the parent plus loan. So people are on their own on those, you know, and those are always very difficult because I know there's always this feeling, you know, I'm supposed to help my kid through college, right? My parents helped me there. You know, you've got that oftentimes uh, or you're just proud of your, you know, and you're also proud of your kid, right? They, they struggled and you want to make sure that they get that bright future. And the difficulty is that courts and the law looks at, at this situation and says, you know, that child is an adult now. They're over 18. It's their business to deal with their student loans themselves. So it's a little more difficult to sometimes deal with those. But we do get people permission to get those loans even while they're in bankruptcy too. So one thing people often make a mistake and think, oh, if I file bankruptcy, I won't be able to help my kid with student loans or get any other kind of debt while I'm in a Chapter 13. And that's really not true at all. We do this routinely for people based on all the other factors that go into a loan. So we've given a lot of people are a lot of stuff for people to think about. And if they are going to go look for an attorney, what should they look for in a bankruptcy attorney? What are the qualities of someone that they should seek out? If they're typing into Google or something else, should they look for? Well, I think you need to obviously it's really important to have somebody who is in your area and is familiar with the courts locally because as we've touched on a few times already right in your state because there are some firms that are all over the place even here in north carolina the differences between the eastern district bankruptcy court and the middle district bankruptcy court leaving even aside the western district bankruptcy court can be tremendous just you know whether it's the values that they use for a car or the period of time for repaying this debt versus that they're very different I was also going to bring up sort of the, I think with bankruptcy, I remember being in law school and there were people who were just like afraid of it. They're like, there's math, it's arcane, it's deep, it's not something to dabble in. So it really, the people I saw heading in that direction, you have to go deep. You have to do it a lot. It's not, you know, something you can just do on the side. One of those qualities, I think the way that shows up is, like I was going to say, people who are members of NACPA, they're kind of showing that they're all in. 
I mean, they may still do other areas of law, but they still have a tremendous focus on bankruptcy and keeping up to date and just sharpening the blade. Right. At our firm, you know, we've got 13 lawyers and yes, we do things that are related to bankruptcy. So we provide, we do student loan work related to bankruptcy. We do mortgage litigation related to bankruptcy. We do fair debt collection practices litigation, again, related to bankruptcy, right? So even though over the last particularly 10 years, we've expanded our scope so that we bring in these other things, we do those, our core representation and experience is in bankruptcy. And we've filed thousands of cases and discharged millions and millions of dollars of debt for our clients and gotten them back on their feet over and over again, helping families really bounce back and be able to go forward. That's where I think a lot of attorneys who, like you said, are these dabblers who, oh, they think bankruptcy is just filling out some forms, right? And unfortunately, it's not. And the truth is, sometimes that may be true, you know, because some people are like, oh, I can file my bankruptcy on my own. The difficulty is a lot of times you won't know that you're have a problem in your case until you're already in that case and it's too late to fix. So for us, again... And, and I do like those attorneys. I respect them. I do like seeing new blood coming in. But I also, um, I've got like my fingers crossed because I know what they're in for is that it's a bumpy road, to say the least. So many traps and pitfalls in bankruptcy that you can bumble into them without even knowing. And then the cost of fixing that, you know, both in terms of money and sweat and blood and tears, it can be much higher than if you went to somebody who's dealt with these before. I think over what the going on 30 years that John Orcutt's been pretty much focused exclusively on bankruptcy at, at the firm, we've learned a lot of lessons, right? Sometimes those are hard lessons because some new development in the law catch comes at us. And sometimes it's the way the economy changes because 30 years ago, there were no online, you know, student loans weren't the same as they are today. Electronic signatures for credit cards was not something we would have even imagined back then. So there've been changes and, and we've seen all of these and are, are really good at adapting to them and handling these problems for clients. Especially one of the things that I think is important in terms of cost, Bankruptcy attorneys are among the least because we realize our clients are, by definition, broke and financially distressed. Our fees are very reasonable for the amount of time and benefit we provide our clients on these sorts of things. So, you know, with lots of options for how to pay. Yeah, I mean, it's not uncommon to see cases where it's 40, 50, 60, 70, 100 plus thousand of unsecured debt, especially if they have a business, then that just like triple it something like that, it gets up real fast. So one last question, and it can be fairly simple, is, you know, if for all the North Carolinians out there right now, whether, you know, they're an employee or they lost their job or a business owner and they're struggling with debt, what advice do you have for them? I think the advice is come get more advice sooner rather than later. So if you're struggling with your mortgage, if you're struggling with your car payments, if you're struggling with your other debts, Talk to us first, because whether it's dealing with the stimulus checks that may be coming out soon, we can help you advise you what to do with that money so that you get the maximum benefit before you go and sell assets or, or repay family members. There are ways that we can help you do all of those things that you want. Or burn a refund. Right. You know, you know, with your tax refund, 
you know, the ways we can make sure that you get the greatest benefit out of those things, whether it's filing a bankruptcy or not. My guess what? Probably at least two thirds of the people who come in to see us, we give them advice and then they don't need, they, they choose not to file bankruptcy, maybe because it doesn't, it's not necessary after what we've told them to do. And that's still a free consultation. That's one of the things that our firm, you can come in and we will walk through and spend a very large amount, you know, usually two, three hours sometimes if necessary, talking to people about all their options, even if that ends up not including bankruptcy in the end for them. All right, Ed, thank you so much for your time. We'll talk another time. Thank you, Sean. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Orcut Answers. To learn more about today's discussion or to schedule a consultation with one of our attorneys, visit our website at billsbills.com or call us day or night at 888-234-4190. The insights and views presented in Orcut Answers are for general information purposes only and should not be taken as legal advice for any individual case or situation. The information presented is not a substitute for consulting with an attorney, nor does tuning into this podcast constitute an attorney-client relationship of any kind. We are a debt relief agency. We help people file for bankruptcy relief under the bankruptcy code. If you're ready to talk to someone who understands what you're going through, contact the law offices of John T. Orca today.